Thanks. So, morning, everyone, and um, just want to add my welcome to um, uh, to Ben's uh, to say if you're uh, new here or on your way in, it's, uh, it's so good to see you. And if we've not met yet, I'd uh, I'd love to say hello after this morning. Uh, I should probably warn you that our, our devoted meeting on Thursday, I managed to spill the contents of my tea over the trousers of someone that I went to say hello to. So, if you'd rather stick with the connecting, then I will understand that. But uh, if not, it'd be great to uh, great to see you. Um, those of you who were around uh, last week, or, or if not really recommend uh, catching up online, will, will have seen um, Steve Morrison came to speak here. Steve leads King's Church Birmingham, um, which we planted uh, three years ago. Uh, he, he talked about us working together as churches uh, under the name Grace Connection. And uh, he, he spoke a word to us from Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Uh, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. And uh, it was a, a word that very much fitted in with a, a lot of what we feel God has been saying to us uh, as a church uh, as we face the challenges of uh, laying down the old to take up the new in the purposes of God. And uh, as that happens, uh, different ones of us will, will spring forth, as it were, as we step into all that God has for us. And uh, it's been my conviction all week preparing this message, actually, that um, there was something unfinished about that moment, that it was just the, the start of a conversation that God wants to have with us. And so we, we're going to be speaking into a, a similar kind of theme this morning about uh, laying down the old to, to take up the new. And uh, as timings would have it, it fits very well in with uh, our Exodus series um, that we're looking at chapter three and four of this morning. So I've entitled this message, When Our No meets God's go. When our no meets God's go, and it's worth pointing out that it's not God's goat, as uh, someone thought it was uh, earlier. It's uh, when our no meets God's go. And uh, we are in Exodus chapter 3, so the, um, the words will come up on the screen if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn there. Um, but just to say by way of introduction, if you're new to the Bible, um, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Uh, it, it talks of the, the story of God drawing his people out of their slavery in Egypt and then drawing them to himself in the freedom of the relationship and the life and purpose um, that he offers. And so where we've got up to so far in the story is that the people of God, the Israelites, are still in slavery, uh, but the person who is going to rescue them, called Moses, uh, has got into his adult life, uh, but he's not done so well so far. He's kind of tried to force things a little bit and ended up killing a guy and then running off, and he's currently in hiding. So um, it's not going so well so far, but um, let's see how God advances them on in the story today. So Exodus 3, um, reading verses 1 to 10. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. As worth just pausing there for a moment to say that Horeb, the mountain of God, that is the same place as Sinai, which is where Moses will go on to receive the Ten Commandments from God, and God will make his covenant promise to be with his people forever. And the idea there is that it's, it's a kind of temple, as in a, a place where God meets with his people. It's what Eden was, it's what the tabernacle will be, and then the temple, and then Jesus himself, and now the church, and then what heaven will be, the new heavens and the new earth. A, a place where God meets powerfully with his people. And the angel of the Lord, this is verse 2, angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. 
And scholars debate as to what's going on here, but there's a very strong case that this is a pre-coming-to-earth appearance of Jesus Christ himself. Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There'd been a growing sense in the life of Moses of the call of God on his life. Uh, It all started uh, through God's dramatic deliverance of him, um, right from birth, actually. And it it started as many um, kind of saving stories, redemption stories do in Scripture, um, with the radical faith of women who defy the odds. It's a pattern throughout Scripture. And so for Moses, it started with the, the Hebrew midwives who uh, did not kill um, the, uh, the, the Hebrew babies as Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had commanded uh, them to do, um, but gave them salvation. Uh, it went on to Moses' uh, mother and sister, who once again did not obey Pharaoh's instructions to kill all the, the firstborn babies, um, but actually provided a, a route of salvation uh, by hiding Moses uh, in a, a basket uh, 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 amid some bulrushes uh, in the, the River Nile, and went on then to Pharaoh's daughter herself, who um, did not do as her father had said and tip the baby into the Nile, but actually gave him salvation, rescued him from that, and, and adopted him into um, her own uh, royal household, uh, giving him a way out. Something significant was clearly about the life of Moses. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says that Moses, as he'd grown up um, in the royal household of Egypt, had very much decided that he was an Israelite, that he was one of the people of God. And he was not going to take the temptation of all the pleasures and wealth and opportunity of the world that was around him. He could have become very wealthy, very powerful, made a name for himself, but he was in fact going to stand with the people of God, the Israelites. He knew his life was about something greater. The trouble was, as I referred to a moment ago, he tried to force the issue a little bit. And one day, seeing an Egyptian beating an Israelite, he'd run up, confronted the Egyptian, and killed the guy. He tried to uh, jump in on, on this sense of injustice. He tried to force something. God had not told him to do that. He tried, as it were, to shake the ed timer of the purposes of God and try and force something of the release of the people of Israel. 
but it didn't work. He thought he got away with it till the following day. People discovered, and Moses discovered, that people knew about it, and Moses fled. He had, as it were, his second exodus. He'd already had one, been drawn out of that as a little baby, out of that basket, the place of death, into the safety of the royal household. And now here, he has his second exodus. He's drawn, he flees out of Egypt, and he goes and settles in the land of Midian. Now, what we miss about Midian is that Midian was actually part of the land that was promised to the people of God. So Moses has come out of Egypt and gone into the promised lands, just as will happen to the people of Israel. And he's settled down there, he's had a family, and back home, they've kind of forgotten about him. And the people are still in slavery, and it's tough. And where we left the story last time was uh, chapter 2, verse 24, where we read that as they groan in their slavery, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And how many of us know how comforting it is that when a figure in authority over us knows our deepest problems? See, the the idea here is that there is something brewing in the story. Something big is about to happen. But for Moses, he'd settled down in Midian, got married, got a family, and he was just going about his everyday life. And yet he knew that he had a past. He knew the things in his past that he was not proud of. And as we can all identify with, because we all have a past, things we wish were different, things we've done we wish we hadn't, things that were done to us, as we can all identify with, what can happen is that as we go about our day-to-day lives, a sense of the imposter syndrome can begin to creep in. We know the real us, as it were. Last time I was speaking here, I used an example from Les Miserables, which uh, is on the BBC at the moment. And of course, in that story, you you have the the main figure uh, who starts off as Jean Valjean, prisoner 24601. And don't worry, I won't sing the song, we're all right. But he's in prison, and he he gets let out, and then due to the the, the interruption in his life of a Christ-like figure, his life changes. He becomes a different person. And he ends up being a very wealthy factory owner, very successful, and becomes mayor of the town. And they all love him. And he's just going about his day-to-day business. And yet he feels like an imposter, because he knows he's got a past. The beauty of the church is that though we all know that we've got a past, Jesus has wiped our slate clean. And in his death and resurrection, Our sins have been forgiven and our lives have been set free. And whether that's things that we've done or things that were done to us, he gives us his healing and deliverance and then gives us all one another so that we can celebrate together that we've been set free. That's what we celebrate as church. Moses had a past. But he also had a future. And it's important to note that because sometimes when, when we're so stuck in the things of the past we can forget that God's actually got a plan to move us forwards. And what happens as God begins to speak to to Moses in the story as we read out, is that he begins to define Moses' future by calling him by name to himself. He calls him by names. Verse 4, when the Lord saw, he turned aside, God called Moses, Moses. He calls you by name. 
At the very start of that, um, those verses that Steve spoke on last week in Isaiah 43, the very start of that chapter, this is what God says of his people. I've called you by name. You are mine. Before God asks you to do anything or to be anyone, he calls you by name to himself. And he knows all about you. He knows your past. He knows your difficulties. He knows your struggle. He knows your personality. He knows the, the way that you are made. And he calls you by name to himself. As a son, as a daughter. He delights in you. And those of us who are uh, uh, activists, if you like, and who get excited about the future and, and the impact that we can make in the city and God's call on our life and the opportunities in front of us, we have to remember that first and foremost, we are called by name to himself. It's how Jesus did it with the disciples, wasn't it? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because God, before God calls you to do anything, he calls you by name to himself. And he begins to describe the way that the call of God works in a person's life. So check this out from verse 7 and 8 in, in chapter 3. It'll come up on the screen. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. What a comfort it is that God knows those. But check this out. I have, remember this is Jesus most likely speaking. I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. I have come down to deliver them out to raise them up. What does that remind you of? It's the gospel. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. That he has come down into our world to deliver us out of our mess, out of our sin, out of our slavery, and to raise us up to new life. That's where the call of God starts. And he moves on to say that that land will be a good and a broad land. Now in that culture, the, the, the blessing of God upon a person was shown by the size of the land that they had. So what God's saying here is that I want to give you abundant blessing. I want to give you life to the full. I want to give you life that is so incredible in knowing me that it's like nothing else. And just after the slide, it moves on to say, this land, it's flowing with milk and honey. And you think, what's that about, milk and honey? Is that some kind of weird like dietary thing that's going on? You know, diets are all kind of a bit funky at the moment, aren't they? You've got Piers Morgan versus Greg's on the whole veganism thing going on. It's not some weird diet. That's, that's not what it's about. What that phrase, the land flowing with milk and honey, means is that milk is the best that animals can give. Yeah? And honey is the best that crops can give. It's not meaning the, the bees, it's meaning the pollen. So it's the best that animals can give, the best that crops can give. The life that God promises is the best of the best. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. And who does he say that land shared with? The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. What do we know about them? Not very much. But what's clear is a diverse group of people all together in the purpose of God. 
That's what the church is. Different nations, different races, different cultures, different ages, different backgrounds, and yet each one of us has a past, and yet we know that we have been forgiven, set free, we come together, we worship God, and we make a difference in the world around us. That's the call of God. The call of God is the gospel. To grow in it and to go with it. To live out the gospel in your life. To grow and to go. And you can imagine Moses' reaction as he began to hear God speak to him on some of these things. So God's saying, I've seen the affliction of my people. I know their cry. I've heard it. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out, to raise us up. You can imagine Moses getting excited. Yes, come on, God. This is who you are. This is what you're about. He says, I, I, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've seen the oppression. Moses getting really, really excited. Come on, God, go and do it. And what does God say? Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Uh, no thanks, God. Not to Pharaoh. Not back to Egypt. I, I've been there before. And it didn't go very well. And what he says, is, as verse 11 leads us on to, is this. He says, but Moses said to God. Call of God comes, Moses' reaction, but. But Moses said to God. I wonder if you can identify with how he felt. You know, I'm sure you know and recognize the feeling as, as we worship together and the presence of God just is so powerful and tangible amongst us. And you hear God begin to speak to you. Something he wants you to do. The person he wants you to be. Something he wants you to give up. And, and all you see is just the beauty of God. And it's so just glorious and powerful to receive his words, to hear his instruction. You think, God, I'm all in. And yet, as you begin to process it in the following days, the objections of your heart just begin to raise up. But what about this? But what about that, God? I, I don't feel up to it. I'm not gifted enough. I'm too busy. I'm prevented by my circumstances. I wonder what it is for you. We've all been there. But like Moses, sometimes we can raise objections to the call of God. Sometimes his go is met with our no. Maybe it's challenges of the past. And that's what, what Moses begins to talk about. So this is verse 11. Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Challenges of the past. It's, it's not just talking about a, a, a mere inadequacy that Moses feels. You see, Moses here is deflated by his previous failures. He's been in Egypt before. He's faced the Pharaoh figure before. It's a different one, but still the, still the same system. It's him saying, God, I, I've been there. It didn't go well. I didn't have the ability then. Circumstances painfully showed that to me. It didn't go how I'd hoped. It wasn't what I expected. And not much has changed. I remember... Um, 
some years back, um, one of the first times I had to have a, a, a challenging conversation with someone. And, um, and it didn't go well. Kind of blew up, learned a lot about myself. And what happened in the years that followed was that I be- began to fear any element of confrontation with people, any element of challenge. It wasn't a very loving attitude at all. It was that I've been there. It didn't go well. Maybe for you it's something more life-defining, something serious and significant about your past, a place you've been, an, an adventure in God you stepped out in, and it didn't go how you'd hoped. What does God say? What's his response, his encouragement to us? This is verse 12, chapter 3. He said, but I will be with you. I will be with you. It's his presence. That's the solution. It's his presence. Because the presence of God changes everything. And when we're before him, seeking him in prayer, worshipping him, delighting in his words, when we are in his presence, our perspective begins to change. And suddenly, we find that the impossible begins to be just that little bit more possible. we, We take on his perspective Healing begins to come from some hurts that have happened before. Gifts come in his presence. The presence of God changes everything. This is why we want to and long to and must be a people of the presence. Because his presence changes everything. A few weeks ago, um, my wife Emma and I went to um, uh, hang out with uh, Martin and Kerry, just down here, family in the church. Got two wonderful kids, Amos and Lydia. And um, Amos wanted to uh, play FIFA on his Xbox. And um, he introduced uh, this concept by uh, uh, stating in no uncertain terms that he had beaten his dad the previous week. And uh, just that's on the tape now. There you go. And, um, and so we, I watched Amos play this FIFA game. And what happened is it's a football game. And, and he was controlling a, just one player on, on, the, on the pitch. And what happens is the player that he was controlling has this circle around him. And the idea of the circle is that it's the circle within which the player functions. He can kick within this circle. He can strike the ball within this circle. He can uh, slide tackle or head or whatever. And the circle follows him wherever he goes on the pitch. It, It is his limitation. It is his capacity. You see, what begins to happen in the presence of God is that God begins to grow our circle. And that as we recognize the call of God on our lives, he gives us the grace to reach the boundaries of the circle that he has called us into. He increases our capacity, increases our ability. Things that we just never could see ourselves doing before, God gives us the grace to walk into. Strengthen your stakes, he says in the word of God, and lengthen your cords. He says you will spread abroad. This is abundant life. Abundant life is not confined. Abundant life leads you into more than you thought possible. Someone said to me a few weeks ago, if the call of God in your life is just perfectly possible for you without any help, it's probably not the call of God. There is something that takes us on to a bigger place, that delivers us out and raises us up to a new land, a new territory, new places in the spirit that is the call of God. And that's why his presence changes everything. And he moves on and he says, I'll be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people of Egypt 
uh, the people out of Egypt. I made that mistake in the nine as well. It's the people of Israel out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. This shall be the sign for you. What's the sign for us that God has called us? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we were celebrating in our worship, isn't it? That our forgiveness has come. That our relationship with the Father has been restored. It's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that shows that he has defeated Satan, defeated death, defeated sin, defeated any problem. It's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit so that he is forever with us, empowering us to live in the fullness of all that he's called us to do. He has sorted out our biggest need. Before I um, was on staff at the church here, I was... um, I was a wills and probate solicitor, and I remember early on in my training, working under the guy that went on to be my uh, eventual boss. And what I found as I went about my casework was that the really big, difficult things my boss could totally nail, he could totally do. It was easy for him. So I could go to him with those things, and he could show me how to do them. But what, what that helped me with was that if he can sort the big things, then all of those smaller things he's perfectly capable to sort out as well. And more than that, then I can step into them by his guidance. Now, I'm not for one moment saying that our past or the call of God on our life is a small thing. But it wasn't our ultimate need. Our ultimate biggest need was for our sins to be forgiven and our relationship with God to be restored. And Jesus has forever ensured that that is the case forever adopted you into his family. And because he sorted out your biggest need, he is more than able to provide every single thing that he calls you to do. And so like Moses, for some of us, God is going to ask us to revisit places where things have not gone so well. To lay down, as Steve's message last week put it, lay down the old to take up the new thing that God is doing in your life and in so doing to trust that the past will be redeemed because we know that the way to do so has been opened up at the cross, which is our deliverance, which is our healing, which is our salvation. Challenges of the past. But maybe for you, some of the things are more challenges of the present, your present circumstances. And Moses puts it like this in uh, 3 verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? It's as though Moses is saying, do I know enough to be ready? How can I lead people who are further ahead than me? I I don't feel up to doing the job that you are calling me to do. And what's God's response? 3 verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. Or as the footnote in your Bible will have it, I will be what I will be. As in, we can't pin him down. We cannot categorize him by things external to himself. He defines everything around him. We would not know what love was, but for him being perfect love. 
We would not know what righteousness was, but for him being totally internally consistent within himself. We would not know what community was, but for the beautiful interaction of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the unboxable, unstoppable, untamable, unshakable, limitless and sovereign, covenant-keeping God. And yet sometimes we think that our circumstances get in the way, as though God missed them. That our knowledge is incomplete, as though somehow we need catch-up classes or something like that. But this is the great I am. This is the eyewitness of every event in history. This is the one who is dwelling in the midst of a bush that he has set on fire such as the intensity of his presence, and yet it's not burning up. He does not need the, the, the fuel of the wood to make this fire burn. He is totally sufficient within himself. And we are invited into that sufficiency. He has everything that you need. And everything that we need, as we celebrated earlier, is found in Christ, whom he's given to us. So when God calls us to do something, he easily has the resources to make it happen. What's the solution? He gives us himself. It's his person. And so often the things that cause us doubts in the present are actually God's challenge to us as to whether we trust him. I wonder what it is for you. Well, the challenge is to take the can't and to trust his can. To be obedient. To grow and to go. Challenges of the past, challenges of present. Or maybe there's some challenges of the future for you as well. And Moses puts it like this in 4 verse 1. Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. It's a fear of ineffectiveness. It's, God, what if it doesn't work? What if I look silly? You you can sense the emotion of Moses in this statement. Because the first two objections are questions. Like, oh God, well, what about this? He is just saying, God, it won't work. They'll just say, you didn't appear to me. It's almost as if he's saying, I know better. It ain't going to happen. Sovereign Lord. What's God's solution? It's his provision. And in the text, what happens is that he gives Moses three signs, three ways of knowing, if you like, that God has called him. And each one of those signs strikes Egypt right at the heart of its national identity. It totally cuts it out at the root. What's our way of knowing? What's the ultimate striking? It's the striking of his son at the cross. And what stands out here, really, is God's patience with Moses. He doesn't just flip out. This is Moses' third objection. God's patient with him. He he knows what he needs, so he gives him these signs. And it's the same in the next objection as well. 4 verse 10, Moses says, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. It's the kind of 
Are you really sure, God, that after all of this, me? He's, he's restating previous objections because he still can't get there. And what does God do? He continues to speak of his power to make all things happen. His power to sort it out. See, God is relentless. He knows what we need. But he's relentless in his pursuit to use you because he knows that as you go, you grow. And he wants you to be conformed to the likeness of his son because he loves you dearly. Moses ain't helping us out here because the next one is uh, verse 13. He said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. It's that I just can't do it. God, I've faced all these things. I just can't do it. I've tried, I've battled, I can't do it. And don't you love the rawness of the Bible? Here I am, send someone else. But we can probably all identify with something of that attitude, can't we? And God does get angry at this because it's a sinful attitude. It's a failure to trust God. But the God who is slow to anger is also abounding in steadfast love. And so what he does is that he sends someone who has already been prepared to go. See, what it turns out is that God says in 4 verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. He's already sent Aaron. He ain't just saying, oh, Moses, you're no use, right? Where's Aaron? He's already sent Aaron. And you know, sometimes when we hear the call of God, we hear the go, and our heart says no, we too need our older brother, as the Bible defines it. We too need our mediator. That's what Aaron will do. He'll speak on Moses' behalf. We too need our great high priest. He says Aaron's a Levite. It means he's a priest, brings us into the presence of God, enables us to do things that we could never have done of ourselves. It's God's plan. It's God's plan. And it makes the difference. Because through all these objections, in chapter 4, verse 18, Moses goes. He sets off. And when you know God's call to go, but your heart says no, we too need Jesus, who's already been sent. He's already come. He's already made a way. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit to empower us to go again. But the good news is that God has promised to pour him out again and again and again and again and again, even today. And in just a moment, some of you are going to meet powerfully with the Spirit and shackles are going to fall off of you and you're going to believe things that you think, hang on a minute, I can't see myself doing this, but I know my God has called me to do it and I know that he is more than capable to provide. So why don't we stand together? Let's have the band come up. And as we stand, I want to leave you with this question. What objections or hurts or circumstances do you need to lay down today to take up the call of God? What do you need to lay down 
to take up his call, to go, to be, something to give up. Because when our no meets his go, I want you to encourage you to trust his call and you will grow. Let's sing together and then we'll see what the Spirit wants to do.